welcome to Just a Couple of Horrors Podcast. It's me, your girl, Brianda, back at it again, here with you on this day today. <laughs> Sorry, I actually feel really good today. I started a new diet a couple days ago, and it's um like specifically for gastroparesis. And um yeah, I feel fucking great. I feel really good. I haven't had any super duper crazy um you know uh symptoms or side effects or anything like that i feel really good i got it off this cookbook um that's called gastroparesis cookbook (laughs) um and i think it's working so hence me being in a good mood today um Today's topic uh, we are going to be discussing is titled, well, it's about Ruthie Mae McCoy. Now, you may not know this by this name of Ruthie Mae McCoy, but this is a story that inspired a very famous movie called Candyman. You heard that, right? Candyman. (laughs) So um, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Resources for today's uh, episode are the chicagoreader.com, the nypost.com, and the lineup. So get yourself a drink, sit your butt down, because here we go. Ruthie Mae McCoy was born in Hughes, Arkansas. She was one of eight children. She was small. Um, Her family, like many other families, moved to Chicago's south side looking for a better and prosperous life. But life is hard in the big city, and they were scraping by. She grew up in Chicago's South Side, attended Phillips High School uh, for a little more than a year, and then she began to exhibit signs of mental illness in her early 20s. Despite the consciousness that McCoy was mentally ill, those that were close to her were able to, weren't able to identify what her condition was, only that she would talk to herself or curse at strangers on a street and suddenly act unpredictably. Side note, I can 100% relate to that. I'm just saying. Um, later in her life, she would be diagnosed with the residual type schizophrenia, a diagnosis that arises when someone has experienced schizophrenic episodes in the past but is not currently exhibiting symptoms. When she was in the throes of her mental illness, it affected McCoy's ability to hold down a steady job. She was never able to maintain employment for longer than a month. To make matters worse, she was institutionalized several times throughout her life. Eventually, in 1983, McCoy would find herself living in the ABLA Homes Housing Project, which was coincidentally located near the Cabrini Green, the setting for 1992's Candyman. ABLA ranks uh, fifth among the CHA developments in violent crimes rate. Residents of the ABLA homes are beaten, raped, and murdered more than twice as much as they are citywide. Um, I I have like a whole thing of statistics um, that I'm not going to really include, but the point that I'm trying to make is that there are crimes um, that are more, that are happening more in this specific area than there are citywide this is a really sketchy area it's a really dangerous area like you don't want to come here 
Um, despite her circumstances, there was evidence of McCoy taking steps to leave the projects in the month before her murder in 1987. Um, McCoy had received approval for Supplemental Security Income, SSI. Not only did this double her monthly man monetary assistance that she would normally receive, but the SSI paid retroactively to the date of her application. So this meant that um, Ruthie's first check was nearly $2,000. And this was a big amount for somebody who was struggling in poverty in the 1980s. Shoot, that's a big amount now. McCoy intended to use this money to help herself leave the ABLA homes, but she also used some of the money to buy herself some new clothes and a few household items. It was nothing extravagant by any stretch, but the acquisitions drew notice. Um, and people around her, you know, saw. Whoever killed McCoy likely targeted her because they believed that she had a large sum of money stashed in her apartment. On the evening of April 22, 1987, the Chicago PD received a phone call from Ruthie. The frantic call confused the dispatcher. The recording showed that McCoy told them that people threw the cabinet down and they were coming in through the bathroom. The dispatcher was uncertain uh, what Ruthie was trying to report um, and what she meant by they throwed the cabinet down and they came through the bathroom. While today we know what the attackers were, you know, trying to break in through the bathroom uh, medicine cabinet, the dispatcher didn't immediately make the connection. Despite the confusion, a police car was sent in response to the call and what follows is just bewildering. First is the fact that the 911 dispatcher didn't report the call as a break-in attempt. Um, this may explain why the, the police didn't arrive to Ruthie's door until 902, which was like 20 minutes. <laughs> this was a really long wait. Um, when another 911 call had come in concerning her apartment, 1109. This call was from a woman who said that she had been walking through the hallway and heard gunshots from the apartment. At 9.04, another neighbor called to report gunshots and hollering from door 11.09 when police cars headed to that scene. They knocked on the door. No one answered. A couple officers went to the ABLA Homes Management Office to try to get a key to her apartment, but for unknown reasons, the key didn't fit the door lock. The officers contacted the office. No one was around. A janitor uh, was in the area and said he did not have a key for 1109 as well. And so at 9.48 p.m., the police left McCoy's building um, at the project. You heard that right. There was shooting. Phone call. People are hollering. The police come. They're trying to get in the door for 40 minutes or so. Can't get in. And then they decide to just leave. Okay? You heard this right. Um, the next evening, Chicago BD would receive another phone call from another of McCoy's neighbors. Deborah Lasley told police that Ruthie would normally greet her twice a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon, but that today she hadn't seen her and um, she felt really weird about it. Several police officers returned to Ruthie's apartment. Again, they knock on the door. 
there's no answer. Once again, instead of, I don't know, kicking the door open, the police leave. The next day, okay, now we're going on day three. Deborah notified the project office of her concerns. She's telling the, the, the office manager, hey, um, you know, we heard some weird stuff, you know, going on in her apartment. And we called the police, but they came and left. The following day, we called the police and again, they came and left. And now we're going on day three and we haven't seen Ruthie. We think something's going on. At about 1 p.m., a project official arrived at Ruthie's door with a carpenter, somebody using the old noggin, um, and they drilled a hole through the lock. Ruthie Mae McCoy was found in her bedroom, shot multiple times, and lying in a pool of her own blood. The room had been ransacked, and because it had been a couple of days since the break-in, the smell of decomposition had just began to pervade the apartment. Dr. Yupul Choi, who was the medical examiner who performed the autopsy, said that one bullet passed through her left shoulder, another passed through her thigh, her thigh, a third entered the right side of her abdomen, piercing her liver, and exited through the left side of her abdomen. The fourth and fatal bullet passed through her upper arm, then entered her chest and severed her pulmonary vein. Um, the coroner listed that the cause of death uh, was internal bleeding. Ruthie probably didn't die immediately, uh, Choi says, the coroner. But because of the injury to the pulmonary vein, which is the principal vein, you know, going to the lung, um, he doubts that she lasted very long. Uh, she probably wouldn't have survived this ordeal even if she had been taken to the hospital. But I can tell you that she wouldn't have died alone in her apartment. Um, Ruthie McCoy was one of three ABLA residents who were murdered in April. Two days after her body was found, unknown assailant used a stick to beat a 40-year-old man to death who lived in the ABLA row house. Um, the killing occurred on a street just two blocks east of McCoy's building. Three days later, a 25-year-old female resident of one of the Abbott High-Rise um, and had an, uh, an argument with a 20-year-old resident of McCoy's building and stabbed this resident in her chest. Uh, the killing took place just outside of McCoy's building. Ruthie had intended to use most of her money to get out of the public housing that she was in, but uh, she also had bought a few things. She had bought a plain winter coat, a few articles of clothing, and a few inexpensive household items. People in the projects, they were very observant and they noticed Um and a lot of people and detectives think that the killers invaded her apartment because they thought that she had some money stashed away. Ultimately, the money that she planned to use to get out of the ABLA homes is what got her killed. According to a 1987 article by Steve Bohira, which was published in the Chicago Reader, people had been breaking into apartments via medicine cabinets over a year prior to McCoy's murder. Two men would later be arrested for the break-in, burglary, and murder of Ruthie, but would be found not guilty in court. Perhaps the case of Ruthie McCoy would have not, we know, would have been forgotten had um, Candyman not hit theaters a few years later. 
Not only did the film feature similar details to her murder, such as it being, you know, the Chicago Projects uh, setting, the bathroom uh, cabinet, the mirror, but one of the characters had McCoy, Ruthie McCoy's last name. Now, with a new Candyman film coming out, you know, just a couple, what, weeks ago, um, there is a different protagonist, but there's there's a character in this movie as well that has McCoy's last name. So it looks like the real-life case of Ruthie McCoy is being immortalized through these films. Not forgotten. Um, Yeah, this is a really sad story. And it's just, you know, you're talking about the size of Chicago. And it's a really tough area where people suffer all kinds of different hardships. You know, there's violence. And there is just, there was no justice. Um, One of the things that I found when I was doing the research for this story is that, well, you know, one commonality is that people who were interviewed um, would say that, yeah, the police don't come here. Now, think about that. Wherever it is that you live, imagine something terrible happening, right? You hear your neighbor, you hear a gunshot, and you hear a scuffle, and you hear your neighbor screaming, so you call 911, and the police either doesn't come or it takes them 45 minutes to get there. I can't even begin to imagine the feeling of helplessness like, and not being able to do anything about it. I feel, I think that Ruth, you know, Ruthie was served injustice on a platter cold because she was trying to get out of her surroundings. She was trying to better her life and she had mental issues and she was using the resources that she had to try to make a better life for herself. And somebody saw that and took advantage of her. Um, it makes me hurt for her because she had a daughter. She was someone's mom. And it's tragic that this happened to her and that her killers got away. Um, there is a good thing that came out of this is that, you know, after, you know, the Candyman movie came out and this case kind of resurfaced again, I know that there was more attention coming to these project buildings and the way that these project buildings were uh, being built, you know, where the walls connected, where the walls connected and there was a, a gaping hole where you can put a cabinet. I know that they tried, they started to make changes so they weren't able to, um, you know, continue to do that not to make it as easy for people to break into your neighbor's apartment that way but it sucks that it came at the cost of you know Ruthie's life um yeah it's just it just it's 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 sad that an innocent woman had to die um but it's also you know very interesting and that you know this case was was turned into you know or incorporated into you know popular culture into the Candyman legend and and knowing that there's an origin that you're able to trace it back and I remember being a kid and and being terrified and going up to the mirror and being like Candyman 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 <laughs> and then running away um but anyway That's all for today, guys. I appreciate you guys tuning in yet again another week to just a couple of horrors podcast. I hope you enjoy 
this week's episode and i'm trying to work out the kinks and the teeny sods um so you know just trying to get in the groove you know if it's too too small if it's too long what is it you know what is it that you want just tell me <laughs> you guys can definitely give me the feedback um if you like it let me know subscribe rate on apple podcast uh, you know give it a five star review if you don't like it don't do that then why are you even here um yeah don't fuck with my shit please don't give me bad reviews if you don't like it just just don't do anything okay um but yeah that's it for today like bailey sarian always says make good choices and no but seriously guys make good choices okay like you have a whole life ahead of you (laughs) you have a whole life ahead of you and i fucking believe in what you're doing okay and you know what whatever it is that you're going through this is you're looking for a sign if you're looking for a sign this is it okay that sign that you've been looking for this is it right here take that chance make that change buy those pants one size smaller fuck it take that chance that's all for today guys thank you so much for tuning in have a great week uh goodbye (laughs) it's unfathom fathomable unfathomable unfathomable yeah that's unfathomable unfathomable unfathomable